From Yahoo Finance, this is Electionomics. I'm Rick Newman. And I'm Alexis Christophorus. On this edition of Electionomics, we are examining how Americans are feeling about the coronavirus pandemic as more economies reopen in the U.S. and around the world, and also its impact on the upcoming presidential election. Joining us on this episode is Dr. Lee Mirangoff. He is director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. Lee, good to see you again. I know we have got some fresh data that we want to dive into. Um, your latest poll uh, looks at how folks are feeling with regards to the reopenings. Are most people embracing these reopenings, happy that they're happening, or are they doing so with some trepidation? Well, I think that with trepidation is probably the uh, the conclusion that you'd want to reach on this. Uh, you know, but there's a lot of ambivalence here. I mean, people are, you know, a lot of people are running out of money and unemployment is high uh, and people are concerned about the economy. But in our national poll uh, that was out just recently, um, it does show that people are also concerned about a second wave. Uh, and that's both true of Democrats and Republicans. Republicans, not as much but more than a majority do think that also. So there's a sense that if we open up too fast, we're asking for trouble. Uh, and that's, that's a sense that uh, people have uh, in, the, in these numbers. Um, and then also, on the other hand, people are very concerned we're not gonna be returning to normal anytime soon. So in a sense, uh, you know, roughly two thirds of people say, you know, normal is not gonna be coming for anytime soon, six months or more maybe until, uh, things become and resemble what they were. Um, Republicans are more likely to think that in this case, normal could be closer around the corner uh, than Democrats do. Um, but there's a lot of concern, obviously, in the air. And you know, as we open up all of these things, I think we're seeing in this poll a disconnect uh, between what public opinion is and the direction of public policy. Um, in that people are, you know, worried if there's, you know, things, <laughs> people want return to normal, are concerned it's not going to happen uh, anytime soon, but they also are, are concerned about that second wave and what that might mean for healthcare. So there's a lot out in people's minds. Lee, what has the trend been? We, we, we're about 10 or 11 weeks into the shutdowns at this point. They began around uh, mid-March. Um, are you finding that people are losing patience with the shutdowns, or do, are you finding that uh, people are basically going along with what their governors and their mayors are saying? Well, first of all, they do have greater confidence in their mayors and governors than they do in in Washington, and certainly that's you know they're more trusting of that. Uh, but you know the people are getting itchy, and it depends where in the country you're you're uh, you're talking about. So clearly, uh, you know the Northeast had really had a major, major first wave uh, uh, problem, and that's gotten better. So there's a lot of pressure to reopen there. Um, in some states, you know, for lack of a better word, you know, red states, uh, more rural areas, uh, people are, you know, less eager to have had the, uh, the uh, restrictions in those places where they are. And we're seeing a lot of pressure to open them up. And, and uh, not necessarily in terms of the protests that we've seen and, you know, you know, whether you wear a mask or not. I think that's maybe capturing a little bit more attention than where people are. Um, it's not that kind of, you know, articulation of concern. Uh, but you do see, you know, there is that concern on the one hand, you know, we need to get things back to normal because they're afraid that won't happen. 
But on the other hand, they don't want any more trouble. So I guess the bottom line is, if we're going to return to normal from a public policy standpoint, we better be preparing for a second wave so we don't get into the situation where we had what led up to the, you know, the horrible number of 100,000 deaths, uh, which is just, you know, mind boggling uh, in terms of the uh, extent of what this has been. You know, we are, we're, we're less than two months now away from, from the presidential election. We still have to get through um, conventions, right? We've got the Democratic convention. It looks like it's going to be virtual, but President Trump seems to still be pushing yeah. for an in-person one there in, yeah. in Charlotte, North Carolina. And he's given the governor, Cooper, a Democrat, a hard time about it. He's saying yeah. that you know, he wants that convention at full capacity. Uh, what have you been hearing? You know, what is the likelihood that we get uh, a virtual Democratic convention and an in-person Republican convention? Well, I think that's, that's a great question. And I, I think what a wild time it is just politically in terms of having, I mean, we've never had in, in, in recent past when we've had these crises, uh, you know, this occurring right in the middle, snap dab in the middle of the presidential campaign, uh, it already impacted the sort of the end of the Democratic primary season. Biden was on his way to the nomination, but certainly moved that along faster. And then we've had this political communication revolution where it's all being done virtually and barely. I mean, Joe Biden was seen just uh, the other day for the first time, uh, Memorial Day, and um, and the president has done very little in the way of his you know rallies. So yeah, so right now the Democrats are pointing in the direction of. Uh, you know, that they may be doing something virtual. Donald Trump, I think, is trying to, you know, suggest that things are getting better. Uh, he doesn't like wearing a mask as an indicator of, uh, you know, problems. Uh, and he keeps talking about, you know, the sort of the, the, the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel and that, you know, he's always been more optimistic than the reality of what, the, uh, what has happened. Um, and so, yes, right now he's talking about let's have people in a convention center where we right now also are discussing maybe some sporting events opening up, but not with people in the stands in attendance. So we still have a ways to go. And I, I, I know uh, you noted the North Carolina situation is a Democratic governor. Uh, they're already about at phase two of the um, federal you know, guidelines. Uh, on terms of uh, re reopening. Um, so they are, you know, moving along, but the president has indicated that if they can't guarantee by August 1st uh, that uh, they can have a, you know, full-blown convention that he's going to look elsewhere. Well, that was the other day. I don't know if that's realistic, uh, you know, whether you can just suddenly pull a convention and uh, plop it down somewhere else. Uh, but the president is clearly, you know, putting at least in the short term that pressure on North Carolina to, to open it up. And I'm not quite sure how that's going to work. Uh, you know, right now we're talking about social distancing and we haven't gotten past that at the moment. And the, you know, the public policy of the healthcare uh, professionals is, you know, social distancing and masks. And if you have a convention where the president is not wearing a mask and people are sitting next to each other, you're not having either of those two conditions being met. So things are going to have to change dramatically between now and August to have that. Do, uh, do conventions even matter in terms of um, the voter, the candidates uh, getting voters to know them? I mean, everybody knows who Trump is at this point. Most people know who Joe Biden is. Would anything change if we just didn't? I mean, I'm, and I'm putting aside, you know, the, for what the parties, the party business that needs to get done. The public doesn't really care about that. 
So would, the, would it matter to the public if there were no conventions? Well, you know, it would matter a lot to the media who gets to cover them and to people like us who get to poll on them and things like that. You know, let's talk about this in the bigger context of Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. You know, how many people are going to be persuaded between now and November about which of those two they want to vote for? I don't think this is going to be a campaign about persuasion as much as it's going to be about enthusiasm and turn. Well, you're the you're the poster. What, what is what is that number? I mean, there's a there is a number, right? Even though it's small. Yeah. Well, right now, the, the you know most people have pretty much made up their mind, and you're or sort of in the Trump corner, or you're in the Biden corner, which right now means you're not in the Trump corner probably more than you're in the Biden corner, but that's different that, you know, right now is it's a referendum on the president. He needs to make it a choice on the two of them, uh, between the two of them. Uh, and that's what he's been trying to do. Uh, of course, he wanted to do that with a strong, healthy economy. Um, and, you know, kind of like make Joe Biden, you know, part of the swamp and Hunter Biden as the evidence of that, while the economy was booming. Well, that is all old news. Uh, in terms of, of what his strategy is. So yeah, there's going to be persuasion. Uh, but if it's 10%, that's probably a lot right now. I think it's more about the turnout. And the president is trying to get a greater turnout among a part of the electorate that's actually been shrinking, where the uh, the Democrats are hoping, you know, just to you know do a little bit better among those parts that have been growing uh, demographically. Um, so it's it's a wild time when you talk about an electorate that's pretty much a 50-50 nation. Um, you know, we're, we're already saying, well, what group matters? What state matters? Well, if it's all that close, they all matter. But I want to talk about that voter turnout because it's still unclear what that's going to look like, right? Are we going to be able to go and vote in person? I know oh, sure. President Trump hopes that that's the case. But did you, in your poll, talk to folks about what happens if, if it's a mail-in vote in their state? Do they vote? Do they not? And is that falling along party lines? Well, what you see in the case of the, of the mail-in vote, I mean, first of all, again, in the context, had roughly about 25% of the electorate uh, voted uh, early this way last time. Uh, the expectation is that could go as large as uh, 50%. And we're talking about um, people who, um, you know, are comfortable with the mail-in voting being driven, of course, by the, uh, the coronavirus and, and not wanting to do what happened in Wisconsin uh, too long ago. Uh, but the Republican base is the least likely to want it. In other words, who's the strongest Trump backers? Those are white men without a college education. They're the ones who are least likely to want mail-in voting. The people who are most likely to want it are the strongest of the Biden base. Those are women in the suburbs with a college education. So we have two extreme groups here uh, and slugging it out. So there is a partisan difference. Um, and clearly this is part of what 2020 is all about. And you know how people are voting has become um, even more than the political football it's been in prior elections. It's just uh, dramatically so this time. <laughs> To my mind, raises a very interesting question um, about um, sort of risk taking willingness. Um, do you have any idea? So you just identified a group more mm -hmm. in favor of mail in, and another another group least sure. in favor of mail in. Uh, do you have any idea um, which group is most likely to go vote in person if there is a health risk from coronavirus? In other words, is the Trump base more likely to show up to vote even if it's risky? 
more likely than uh, the Biden base would be willing to show up, even if it's risky? I mean, to vote in person. I would say, yes. you know, we don't have good numbers on that right now. My guess, my sense of it is the answer right now would be yes uh, to the to the uh, Trump support. Uh, and we see that even in some of the protest activity. But I don't think that's the rank and file Trump supporter either. I think that's a, a group, a, a small group in his corner that is uh, that is voicing displeasure uh, with the uh, with the shutdown. Um, and I, I, I look towards um, you know, the next couple of months to, you know, again, so much is likely to change. Um, right now, the enthusiasm for the Trump base is stronger uh, than the Biden basis for Biden. Uh, but that's okay for Biden, because if you have an incumbent, you can make this a referendum uh, on the incumbent and do very well. Uh, the president really wants to make it a choice and get away from a referendum. And you're going to see him bring try to bring biden out of the basement literally and into the campaign fray and, and that's what we've seen more of and i think we're going to see the, the president's strategy uh, being that uh, a lot of that uh, down the road so i think that's a that's a, a, a probably the single most important question that we would like to have an answer to is you know who's going to really show up and where's that enthusiasm going to be and in the you know, the, the months that exist between now and then and the conventions and presumably the debates, although there's no guarantee there'll be debates. So one might want virtual and the other may want in person. I mean, we can see that dynamic playing out. There's a lot of issues that are still going to be resolved. We have a vice presidential pick on the Democratic side also, which will probably be sooner than later. So, Lee, um, You've referred to the uncertainties from 2016 and um, the surprise that happened there. So I'm covering the uh, the campaign and I go on our shows and other places and I say, oh, Biden's now up to a 10 point lead or whatever the latest result is. And people say, you know, whether it's our anchors or just people out in the public, why should we believe any poll? The polls were completely wrong in 2016. Um, so why do polls even matter in 2020? So I'm sure you get that a lot. Can you explain, I mean, in a very concise way, what happened in 2016 with the polling? Yeah, yeah. And if it's changed in the industry or if it's like there were any acknowledged mistakes that have been fixed yeah. or whatever. Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately that's, you probably get a three credit course at Marist College to get a good answer on that. Let me give you a little tease on it. The people who had the biggest influence on the perception that Hillary Clinton was gonna win were these prognosticators. It started with 538, uh, the Nate Silver, group in 2012. And by 2016, Huffington Post, YouGov, everybody was getting one of these models that said there's an 80% chance that Hillary Clinton would win. There's a 96% chance that Hillary Clinton would win. And that's what was really shaping it. They were based on the polls, but they were based on models that use the polls to come up with those conclusions. They didn't point out that if there's an 80% chance that she was going to win, there's still a 20% chance that she wasn't. And, 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 you know, some of that was missing the state-by-state -state analysis. The national polls were all spot on. Um, and, you know, we hear about shy- you, you, mean in terms, you mean in terms of popular vote, right? Yes, the, the popular vote, our poll was, you know, two points for Hillary Clinton and it was two and a half or thereabouts. Most of the national polls were fine. A lot of the problem with the state polls were that they either were not in the right states. In other words, there was a sense of, Hillary Clinton was gonna run up the score and let's look at some other places. Uh, so we didn't get a sense of what was going on in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, which turned out to be critical. Or they had, you know, the, the change was towards the end and, you know, timing is very important in polls. 
the consumer this time should always look at when the poll is conducted uh, because that's so so very critical. And polls that were done before the Comey letter, for example, in uh, in uh, you know ten days out. Um, and we know from the exit polls that the uh, the undecided people who who disliked both Clinton and Trump went overwhelmingly for Trump at the end, and that created that margin, that narrow margin that he that he needed to win. So probability and the chance. <laughs> Just a quick follow-up, and then I'll uh, let sure. Alexis get back in here. Um, has anything changed in terms of polling methodology, whether yours or others you know of, to do things, for example, like be more represent, represent, re, representative, you know what I'm trying to say, of the yeah. state that matter or anything like that? Or are they basically the same methodologies as in 2016? Well, so here's what people are doing. They're saying that the, you know, the polls missed lower educated people, and therefore they should wait by education. And to me, that's fighting the last war. Um, I think that works in a state where you have a fairly homogeneous population, so you can get a representative sample. So after you know, some folks in New Hampshire went back in the general election and reweighted by education, and voila, they got it on the nose. So they, they nailed it, and they were very happy about that. And that sort of led to the view that well, let's just everybody should wait by education. Our feeling is that. You know, it's more about geography. It's more about a rural versus an urban versus a suburban vote. And that's where we have to be looking at in states that are diverse, more diverse, like the Midwest, not like New Hampshire. Uh, we need to be uh, looking at the uh, the uh, geographic, the political geography of the of the state and then looking at that more specifically. So I don't think it's a one size fits all in terms of education. And I know most of my colleagues are saying, oh, no, no, let's fight that last war. Uh, and uh, let's just adjust all of our samples by education and model it that way. And I think that's dangerous because you know, there's no guarantee at all that 2020 is going to have a similar slice of the electorate that 2016 did. So uh, my recommendation is you know, to look at the geographic distribution. We know what the red states and red areas are, and they're getting redder. The blue is getting bluer. We know that the suburbs are so critical. Let's look at those three distinct regions. And education is a part of that, but it may not, the situation may not be that dire that we need to sort of start tinkering with models that, you know, we're pretty decent for the most part. Lee, I know you've got national outlook in here. Uh, first time ever. I want to get to that in a moment, but I, I want to throw this question at you. And I don't know if you really have any data to share with us, but I am curious. There have been polls showing that Trump may be losing some of the folks that helped him win the first time around, seniors and also educated women. But yep. there's another group I'm curious about, and that's young first-time voters, my yep. son among them. He's graduating from high school. He's going to be able to vote this November. He's looking forward to doing that. Any idea whether or not that base, that those those people are going to be more incentivized, less incentivized to vote? What are you hearing about them? We're hearing exactly what you're saying. I mean, you know, clearly when you look at, at older folks, uh, they're more concerned about the healthcare side of, of, uh, of COVID-19 uh, because, you know, they're not necessarily in the workforce right now. And they're very concerned because clearly uh, the elderly are more seriously in jeopardy uh, from this uh, virus. Um, so, yeah, so the elderly, you know, in some places may not be as happy with the president as they were in 2016 when he ran up the score among old, older folks. 
but then we also know that you know Joe Biden may not be have you know a lock on younger voters. So in a sense, yeah, at the margins, this may be a little wrinkle in an election that is likely to be close. I mean, the answer to the question who matters is they all do. All the groups matter because the turnout and the support from each of these groups will be critical. Right now, we're seeing exactly what you are pointing out. There is a sense that uh, you know the president is a little softer on the on the elderly than he was, and I think we understand why. Uh, and Joe Biden hasn't really captured the enthusiasm of of the first time voters. He's likely to carry them, but not the kind of numbers that you would expect a, a Democrat to be doing. I, I want to jump in with that National Outlook Index real quick. Uh, this is the first time Marist has done this. What did you look at exactly? And can you give us, with the time we have remaining, just a couple of big takeaways from that? Uh, sure, I'd be very happy to. Uh, first of all, it's, it's based on the national surveys we've done uh, on the economy and in healthcare. We asked a whole series of questions to people uh, and asked them to respond on a scale of zero to 10. I don't know if you need to know all that kind of stuff with uh, the methods, but it's a scale to create an index. And uh, what we're seeing is, yeah, there's a sense here of people having some confidence in their health. Uh, I think there's a concern about where that's gonna go. Uh, down the road, but when it comes to the economy, there's a lot of concern about that. That the leading that indicator is that the jobs right now are not easy to find, and I think people are literally starting to run out of cash, and that's where the pressure is for the reopening. So, what we see is if you want to look at a, a zero to ten, and the first three, zero, one, two, three, are low, and the middle four, five, and six are sort of you know, so-so, and things are going great at seven, eight, nine, ten. What we're seeing here is numbers that are in the middle, between four and six. And we're seeing that the economy as an index is hurting more so than people's sense of, of healthcare because they are comfortable with that. Um, although they feel there's a risk to their healthcare, they feel that that is uh, more uh, under control right now than the economy is. At least they think that they have that control. And the economy, it's kind of like a free fall. And it's been such a you know, a dramatic change in the economic outlook. I mean, look what we've got here. We've got an economy that, uh, you know, where we've had this enormous unemployment and we've had these enormous number of fatalities on the healthcare. And so we felt this index, and we're going to do this repetitively over time to see how we start to dig out, how we recover, and whether people's views on the economy and the healthcare change as a result. So we think it's an important step to get a better sense of public opinion. So let's say if, um, if, if the economists are more or less right and we are bottoming out right now and things are going to be improving in the fall, but they're still going to be a lot worse than they were a year earlier. Do you think voters are going to, in general, going into the election, feel better off or feel worse off? Well, they'll, they'll feel <laughs> there's two parts to that. The question that Ronald Reagan asked way back when, you know, are you better off now than you were four years ago? People will say no to that because clearly, there's a big problem in the economy. Do people feel that the future might be better than it is currently? Well, that will be an answer we're going to find out in the next few months. And that's an important voting determinant also, voting indicator. So if people think that we're in the right direction, then to go back to Ronald Reagan in 1982, the old stay the course argument, you know, that we've turned the corner, let's stay the course. And that could be a potent argument. What I think is very interesting right now is that Joe Biden 
is doing very well on things like empathy. He's doing better on handling the coronavirus. He's doing better on healthcare. But Donald Trump is still holding his own, not as good as it's been, but on the terms of the economy. What happens in October and you know, right up to the election? Are people going to be more concerned about the economy or healthcare and more worried about which one of those? And right now, that could tell us a lot about which way that election will go because Joe Biden is sort of stronger on healthcare, but the president still is holding his own on the economy. That's why this indicator, these index that we put together, I think will be very telling to help us better understand where the electorate is. Uh, and I'd love to, love to provide that information to you and your audience as we get down the road. Is that just to, to garish <laughs> Lee Marengoff, director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. Thanks for those insights. We'll definitely be talking again between now and, and November, that's for sure. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on this edition of Electionomics. Be sure to follow me at Alexis TV News and Rick. And me at Rick J. Newman. And, of course, I know you all be as nice as you always are. <laughs> all right, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks.